You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. For those of you who are interested in self-discovery and healing through hypnosis, please email me at rebecca.hayden at gmail.com to book a free consultation. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Today, I have Aaron Cruz with me. Aaron, after experiencing a life-defining psychedelic rebirth in 2008, he studied sacramental entheogenic compounds as a cornerstone of self-actualization, spiritual growth, peak performance, and servant leadership. Over the past 14 years, his path of inner discovery has been devoted to ceremonial practice, high-performance training, transformational event curation, and psychedelic facilitation. To date, Aaron has facilitated over 85 one-on-one journeys and served as a lead facilitator in 10 psychedelic retreats. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thank you, Rebecca. It's an honor and pleasure to be here. So I just wanted to dive into this integration discussion going way back to 2008 and what you were doing at the time and the kinds of things that you were experiencing that brought you to the point where you wanted to pursue medicines. Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2008, I was in a fellowship at The Ohio State University uh, on my way to getting uh, hopefully a doctoral degree in anthropology, history and cultural studies, really looking at indigenous culture during the 15th to 17th century, you know, right around that time of massive uh, influx of uh, conquistadors and missionaries uh, coming in from Europe in mean, a time of, of indoctrination, big shakeup down there. Uh, but I was looking really at the integrity of the indigenous culture to have such thriving, powerful civilizations with megalithic architecture and massive insights into astronomical knowledge, their herbology knowledge, their ability to have you know thriving resource relationships that were not currency bound, um, often vast trade relationships and uh, different types of work style exchanges, but really just trying to nourish myself on, on how that civilization, those civilizations there were able to thrive in symbiotic relationship with nature. So that's really where my first curiosity came to be on, on plant medicine, because often I would come across a teonoctal, the flesh of the gods being such a cornerstone, uh, you know, which is of course psilocybin mushrooms, being such a cornerstone of their ceremonial lineage and history from the, from the Mayan to the Inca to the Aztec, Mazoltec, Olmec, they all had such a rich tradition of being in this deep relationship with plants. So for me at that point, it was a, a curiosity, but a, but a deep and powerful one that was also starting to stoke my own uh, curiosity about, you know, experiencing those compounds in real time and to see what was the magic and potency um, that was present there and to see if that vitality still exists. But there was something else that happened at that time as well, something that ended up bringing you down, things you discovered about that time and the things that were done to these indigenous people. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's what ultimately led to my decline from academia is that researching into that that legacy is just the the atrocities that that occurred for the indigenous peoples were so expansive and and so all pervasive that it was uh, really heart shattering. You know the use of 
uh, smallpox and blankets that were, you know, disease ridden um, to essentially create uh, opportunities for genocide and to uh, circumvent people in positions of power to to essentially bring about a decline of, uh, I believe, I, something around this, the, the, the tone of about 80% of indigenous peoples uh, were, were killed, whether strategically or through the emanation of disease directly by the transmission from Europeans, but also mm-hmm. the, the, the burning of Mayan codices. I mean, we're talking about a thousand scrolls that had vast knowledge of geometry, isometry, trigonometry, uh, deep ways of their old, the Popol Vuh and the ancient ways of perceiving the origin myths and the, the powerful legacies of initiation and ceremonial practice. Oh, you know, there was thousands of these codices burned down to four. The movement of indigenous children into these missionary camps that were pretty much slave camps and, and, and using them as indoctrinated, serv- indentured servitude. And I mean, it just so it was so vast and so overwhelming, and, you know, and I truly believe it's because they felt not because of they felt that these were ignorant and um, barbarous people, but actually they saw people with power. They saw people mm-hmm. with agency and a way of life that was in, in many ways leagues beyond their own world knowledge of the cosmology of that way they lived in. And they felt it to be a threat and they ex, you know, exercised their power for, for resources and gain. So that was, that was too much. That actually kind of drove me away from that path. Yeah, it was it was a very empowering way of life, and it didn't fit into um, the colonization plans that they had. So, I mean, one way or another, it was inconvenient. And um, looking at that history myself through my own research uh, when I was doing documentary work was was really depressing. And I think that it was necessary. I think it was the beginning really of the rebirth for me too. And for many of us, it's like later on, my own path was about looking at things that were not very happy to look at about myself and my own behavior. So it started as looking at the cultural realities in, in our world. And then it's and then it began later looking at my own life and things that were not very convenient and depressing to see, but important to know so that I could start to change them. So how about you go from the whole plant experience to afterwards and, and that big change, like that was quite a swing for you. And then and then you went into a whole new phase, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, that kind of uh, kind of patriarchal, repressive mindset, I was kind of experiencing that in academia too. I wrote this 90-page thesis, master's thesis. It was rich in content and um, really kind of explored those ideas of the indigenous empowerment and that being more of a threat than and their, and their ideology and their potent way of life, their symbiotic relationship with nature. Um, but, you know, my mentor at the time said, uh, although I had 140 footnotes or whatever, um, that too much of my own thoughts, my, too much of my own perspectives were in the paper. Um, so I felt that, again, that rep- repression of being able to just give equal voice and honor equity in terms of uh, resources there. So that that really started to isolate me away from that environment, pushing me away. But that question, that burning question remained as to what was it about that communion with plants and spirit that was so palpable that it was a driving force for such magnificent culture for thousands of years. And so that's when I decided that, uh, you know, at a, at a music festival event back in 2008, I, I would take my first major foray. I mean, I had a couple of light experiences with psychedelics, you know, my late teens, early 20s, but that was the first time I decided to intentionally take a high dose experience um, with my partner at the time. 
uh, and uh, and it it absolutely um, just exploded my worldview, the perception of myself being this uh, small, curious, but uh, you know, relatively uh, being without very much agency in the world, it just expanded into this incredible unified perspective, uh, which was in one way the most ecstatic, blissful, and sacred experience but also in another way, the most terrifying, unanticipated and fragmenting experience um, that I've ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. But it, it had an impact initially of really inspiring you to want to share this with others. Many of us go through this, but I'd like you to talk about what that was like for you and, and give some personal examples, because I think that there are so many of us that go in that direction and just what would that was like and what the outcome was of that, how that helped you to grow into a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. So so the explosive awareness from that experience, you know, literally to the point of I did not even know my name for a large portion of the evening at that time. I just knew that I was a masculine presence and soul, uh, a child of the universe. And I saw in that just the, the, the profound sense that we all have that type of uh, connection and potency. Um, but uh, ideas of preparation, ideas of integration, you know, none of that was absolutely in my or orbit or atmosphere at the time. So what that actually created was my mind tried my best to extrapolate ideas of what could be happening to me. And the only thing that it could come up with is I must be like a chosen one. I, I must be um, a, a person that is receiving this kind of ordainment or this kind of chosen uh, feeling like an avatar that's here to evangelize the gift of medicine and share far and wide the power of reclaiming our, our sovereign divinity. And it, so when so two things kind of occurred. One was that I did have this profound, deep sense of servitude that I wanted to express because I think that's what happens a lot of us when we move into the psychedelic state is that you know, we want to have an impact on a world that's lost its way. And we have uh, people that are with amnesia, uh, with our tribal lineage and our community interdependence. And all these things are completely fragmented. So I had this deep burning desire to be of service in, in kind of the remembrance of who we are. Now, the issue was that I had perceived myself to be novelly of that gift you know i had you know i had received the power i had received the 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 wisdom directly from a divine experience so i perceived myself to have more status more prestige more agency these different things that would conflated my ego sense of grandiosity to have that message so and it was rough it was a rough go of it you know i i came out of there i, I phoned friends from all around and said hey you really should uh you know check out you know LSD or check out plant medicine and you know you're, you're going about things all wrong and here's where you want to course correct and you know even my own parents were like wow okay so you went to a show um you dropped out of your master's program and you're trying to convince me that you're some kind of a prophet okay uh interesting Aaron get back to me in six months but this is uh this is a bit of a hot mess um so it was a tough one and you know I, well, gratefully I had the by the grace of my my partner stayed with me and we had a lot of things to work through though, but it was a rough, it was a rough landing after that. Yeah. I think a lot of people go through that evangelistic period of, you know, wanting to share. It's natural. Um, but you know, where you personally fit into that story is, is a very 
unique journey for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. I do think that the plant medicines send us on missions and we respond to that in all kinds of ways, including, you know, sometimes going full tilt um, too much in one direction or not enough and everything in between, of course. But you had mentioned that, you know, there was a perception of your experience at that time as being narcissistic. And it's something that you had to grow out of because you, you lost friends and you just saw the evidence of how people were responding to you or not and then you had to work from there yeah that was that was the hard part you know because at first i thought you know my enthusiasm and energy would probably ignite people into curiosity and interest but i feel that that's the the hard part about the narcissism in that is in that way is that um i was just unable or unwilling at times to perceive that people have to have their own journey you know people have to come to their own places of of realization and there has to be an invitation to deeper dialogues about personal path and healing and transformational growth it's it's not something that i feel although a lot of us especially in the ones that we're closest to we can probably perceive of shortcomings you know quote unquote shortcomings or or things that are you know uh, that they have the blinders on or where the shadow lies and but uh, again it, it's it's something that i felt on that front end i wasn't waiting for an opportunity to say hey or actually modeling hey this is how i'm growing this is how i'm taking this path earnestly and you know my health and well-being is accelerating and and hey you know i want to invite you on this journey it wasn't it wasn't about that i think it came down with a lot of judgment is how it was perceived mm -hmm. a lot of judgment um to others and how how they should or should not go about things mm -hmm. um so that was tough you know i had a, a couple of relationships that were severed uh and i had this one experience where um i just even started isolating myself from quote unquote mundane things in the world i, I would be so uh, invested in you know spiritual practice and doing these different ceremonial things uh you know whether it was kabbalistic ceremony or different things i was getting involved in hermetic ceremony and my wife was like hey you know, you want to come down and, and go to a movie? And I'm walking around with this like 15 pound tome, just like m musing through and just, you know, uh, pontificating on things. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't have any time for mundane things like the movies. And then I just remember her face and how it just like lost color and it dropped. And it's like, where are you, Erin? Like, where, <laughs> why can we just like be kin, you know, can we just be together and have fun like why is everything this magnificent quest and then I, I i felt it i felt the bolt of what that is and that was part of the process of maybe i have an intent here and maybe there is some honesty behind or earnestness behind this this desire to serve but this just isn't the way i'm losing people and i'm losing the most precious person in front of me because i don't have time to just hold hands and have a good time yeah and you know i think that in our society, there's a lot of labels being used and uh, a lot of judgment also of people who are going through these things, which is not very inviting in terms of creating possibilities and conditions in which people can heal. But uh, so unfortunately, how they do heal is they either close their mind to it and become very isolated, or they learn through these painful processes and many of us learn through painful processes <laughs> you know things are not working out and we've got to find another way so you did though you moved on and you started to do some inner exploration and what, and what was that like yeah so for me um a big part of that really then was kind of trying to find humility like trying to reestablish a sense of i still have a lot of work to do so for me to go out and continuously point fingers and tell 
friends and family that like they need to do the XYZ while I'm still cooking just didn't feel it started feeling an imbalance there. So I moved back into a space of really kind of learning about more mystic traditions. So that's where I really kind of dove into the Kabbalah. And I also dove into the Eastern practice of uh, the bhakti of devotion, you know, kind of learning again, the path of compassion, the path of the heart, you know, Ramdas, various things like that, that really kind of reignited that original spark. And as you shared this, that's why I feel like most people that flip into narcissism, there is a, there is a kind of an, an honest, a positive intent at the heart of what mm -hmm. they're trying to do. There, there is a sense of like, hey, there is an ailing world and we are struggling as a people to find pathways of growth and healing. And we do rely on each other for mentorship and leadership in different ways. Yet the tone and approach of how that's gone about in a way that has equanimity and a way that respects the, the, the sanctity of someone else and then looks at that through that lens of, of equity and, and, and uplifting, uh, you know, uplifting perspective of bringing everybody to that same plane. That's the thing that I had to take a step back and really try to humble myself to learn. So over those next several years, you know, of getting back into the devotion, I remember reading Carlos Castaneda work and saying, you know, mm -hmm. if it's not a path of heart, then that's not the path. And I thought it, my path was getting way too heady, way too power oriented. And it's like, you know, I, I actually just want to go and, and learn how to love as a deeper person and learn how to be a caring servant. So that's really where that kind of retraction came and, and the bootstraps came back on for that type of learning. And you mentioned that you discovered a spiritual ally that assisted you in this. And this is a story that is familiar to me and many others. I mean, it was so profoundly effective in my own integration path that I help others do that, you know, because this way, someone else isn't imposing it on you. It's not someone else's version of what you should be doing. It is you deeply connecting to that very wise part of us that we all have that the medicines connect with and continuing to do that post-medicine to, uh, to discover our own path of learning and growing that is very, very unique. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's one of the things I think was critical to that as well is that we live in an age where we don't have the type of initiatory allies in the flesh, ultimately, that many uh, traditions in the past, whether ancient civilization or indigenous, had the, the the blessing of you know of the of the wise elders and teachers and maestros that were able to help to facilitate the young earnest growing aspirant students to help them cultivate those tools necessary to have a really well rounded practice. But I was blessed with an opportunity early on and through my practice, especially with psilocybin, of finding um you know a beautiful ally in this this kind of essence of this dragon spirit ally that would commune and really share with me the gifts while in that state, in that space of using it sacramentally in temple, share with me the gifts of how to embody and embrace the alchemy within that was occurring there and not feeling the sense of having to then go out and uh, share with people my quests and adventures, but through the power of emanation, through the power of my own presence, of feeling more peaceful, feeling more open, feeling more connective, um, that then all of a sudden their interest and questions come to me and the support mm -hmm. and relationships start developing here. And then I'm a mentor, this person, that person, but it, it really inverted from that sense of, hey, you know, the look of what that is, the power of what that is to more of a, hey, you know what? It's teaching me that through the cleansing and healing of the self and through the earnest nature of being devoted to the work that all of a sudden the gravity that I was seeking on the front end in some ways 
is there and the impact is there and the and the and the fellowship is there but that's one of the things that's why i think the gift of the medicine is kind of eternal it, it transcends the cultural context we lost those codices from the mayan we lost a lot of traditions but they're kind of eternally there and the medicines are timekeepers of that and if you open yourself up to an affinity of relationship with uh alternate dimensional sentient being, a wise being of some form, um, they really can assist you in the process of reclaiming that and what it means to you and helping to emanate that in service. Yeah, it's brilliant, really, what we have inside of us and just discovering that and allowing that to unfold, you know, the way that the traditional ways we have of learning or the conventional, I, I don't want to use the word traditional because that means something else entirely that we're, we're coming to understand. The conventional ways of learning don't really apply to these experiences. <laughs> no. In fact, you know, we're, we're starting to unlearn that process and learn something else, which is far more, it's far more organic and beautiful. And it teaches us so much just in allowing that, just in letting it unfold instead of forcing and, you know, compartmentalizing and trying to organize it in certain ways. <laughs> It's, it's really funny how we, we want it to go. I see this all the time, too. I'm sure many do in the posts lately on social media about plant medicines and psychedelics, how, you know, they're trying to kind of make it work like the pharmaceutical world with these certain <laughs> outcomes and control the process. And if we do this, then people won't have bad trips. It's like, you know, when people have had a bad uh, a life that's full of sickness in many forms, emotional, all kinds of you know traumas, we have to experience some of that so that we can come through it. And sure, there are healthy ways of doing that, but trying to anesthetize the whole experience so that we never feel any pain, this is not going to help us move mm -hmm. forward. And this is evidence of the ways that we are trying to make that fit into our world rather than allowing ourselves to find a way to experience things differently because we do have to make big changes in the way that we do things so that we can have a different experience of this life. We need to do that. And part of that is throwing out these ideas of what this process must be like and trying to make it fit into conventional modes. Mm -hmm. We need to allow them to just fall by the wayside as we just discover and, and let things unfold in different ways and see what gifts there are there for us. Oh man, absolutely. So well said, Rebecca. Yeah, you know, I, I have, you know, I have a real challenge with the idea of psychedelics without a psychedelic experience and interesting things that are coming about here um, with this compound. So trying to make things, you know, softer edges and 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 clean and yet following kind of the normative strategy of, of medicine in the pharmaceutical age. And that that's just not how this works, you know. And in fact, as I facilitate journeys. For others, I'm often, you know, I try to emphasize beauty is in the contrast, you know, beauty is in the ability to find those places, those shadows, those traumas, those wounds that need healing, dive into them with an open heart, see the full perspective, get into that space, make decisions, reconcile, forgive the self, forgive others. And then often when you come to that place of acceptance, where you see that lesson wasn't um, the world being just harsh and cruel it was actually shock paddles of your own awakening it was something critical for you to digest in your arc of a soul so that you can recognize the power and potency of whether that be relationships or whether that be your own growth and sovereignty whatever the lesson of the core is you had to have that challenge point and then when you go back and perceive that with the medicine 
and it works and aligns with you to reconcile that the the blossoming that comes the victory that comes through acknowledging the pain to then process digest and and form that into the diamond you know and uh, allow that to now become fuel and energy for the gift of your joy you know it is so profound and and you know not wanting to bypass that you know so when people are always like what about bad trips or adverse experiences well you know typically i feel that those come down to to three things one is a uh, a set and setting that is non-conducive to the gravity and, and potency of the medicine. You know, you run into a, a cavalier, run into a show, eat a bag of this or that, and you know, your friends drinking or Budweiser's next to you. And all of a sudden you're having deep reflections on the state of your own being and your relationships and, and you have no eject button. So that, yep, that happens. But the one that's more common is that when you're going in and you're facing the shadow, you often retract and have that kind of sympathetic flight response and, don't want to deal with the pain but the truth of the matter is by going in and, and being with it sitting with it being patient acknowledging that the medicine's not trying to torment you it's really trying to show you that there's a, a rhyme and reason for that experience and that's to help you grow and that often becomes the most vital and profound moment of and cathartic moment of a journey is when you reclaim the sense of yourself and overcome the shadow big victory yeah. you know if everything was all ecstatic then nothing would be you know mm -hmm. so it's it's quite important there yeah, and it can take time, you know, and that's okay. That's really okay, too, because uh, some of these things are, are just so huge. It's like, okay, so that happened. But when we frame it as, okay, that was bad and should never have happened, and uh, we, could, we could talk about uh, any negative experience in our lives that way. But I don't know if that's as helpful if we really do want to grow. Mm -hmm. And, yes, these things are painful and we mourn and that's important too to take the time out to mourn the loss of innocence that that sometimes happens when we have early um traumatic childhood events mm. all of those things just take the time to to move through those emotions to feel instead of anesthetize it all and you know even be gentle with ourselves when we're not ready to do that but these are essential they certainly are and it, it does take time and it's okay to move through it instead of put a label on it and say, okay, that's bad. Or, you know, this is bypassing. When people say bad trip, I, I'm okay. What happened? Like, tell me about that because we could just leave it there and not understand what really took place. I've had bad experiences inside of a medicine ceremonies, but it took me a while to unpack it. I wouldn't just want to put a label on it. It certainly was, it was, hard to go through. It was harsh and, and felt harmful at the time. And then it just took me a while to understand, sometimes years, you know, yes. <laughs> these things are not convenient. Okay. They're not going to fit into these convenient little <laughs> modules that we want to happen. And it's not always that way, but sometimes it can be. And we can learn so much just from coming to a place of acceptance about that, you know, and allowing all the other stuff to fall into place when when it's ready to do that and experiencing all the emotions in the meantime. Mm. Yeah, we can improve a great deal just by allowing those things to happen and just inquire, just open up. Well, what does that mean? You know, bad. And how did it feel? And, you know, are we ready to go there now? Maybe we'll put it aside until we are. And in the meantime, what can we do? Asking those questions of our spiritual allies or of the universe can bring us other tools that might be helpful to get us there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's so important. You know, as you were saying that, I mean, from that first 2008 experience, 
my goodness, I was integrating fragments of that experience for, I still am in many ways, you know, Uh, truly, you know, and that's part of that process is that, you know, time isn't just this linear arrow shooting off. Often we are dealing with this really kind of deep cyclic time where we're having lessons that are coming in spirals that come with a certain level of gravity and it's a kind of a hint of what that is. And then it comes with a little more cowbell and then it, you know, then it really arrives. And if you're more vigilant and you're present as you share it, Rebecca, what are the facets that you know that are right in front of you that you can work on, that you can heal? You know, don't always have to look at the big meta story, the whole arc of, you know, who am I and my samsara of exist, you know, like trying to go like, you know, how do I become a more a, a better communicator today? How do I become a, you know, a, a deeper listener and friend? You know, those things that you know that you are the low hanging fruit or the things that are very alive for you, honoring them with vigilance each day and being devoted. Then every so often, uh, a couple of years come by and you'll be like, oh, OK, I see how that piece of my journey. Like, for example, I just had my first really deep dive ayahuasca experience three, four months ago. And while I'm in that experience and I'm feeling the rhythmic power of the mother moving through me and just my whole body rattling from Kundalini and I'm literally perceiving cell separation and recodement and this deep sense of honoring of this beautiful lotus mother that while as she was speaking to me, every ripple in the room, someone's cough, the music, someone shuffling a page of their journal, everything was her voice. It was the most profound all-encompassing energy of of presence of the mother I've, I've ever had in my life or probably this this go at least but as part of that she showed me at one moment how in that 2008 experience i disassociated i was so overwhelmed that i literally fragmented a part of myself because i thought that i was blinded by the light of what was perceived there and i was so scared that a part of me just was out there and i don't know where there is but i just felt like wow i i I, I haven't been whole, I haven't been complete because of how shattering that was for my young, fragile self at the time. And I kind of felt like it was this homecoming and welcoming and I saw uh, an innocent part of my young, zestful, you know, 20 year old self at the time coming back home or 22 year old, I should say, coming back home and landing in me. I felt this sense of deep lineage, reconciliation. I, it's so hard to describe the emotions and the, what that was. But I knew it was like, that's a part of me that I am now ready to hold and cherish. And in that original, like almost mission that was provided to me of being of service for the medicine, you know, uh, cultivating community, it's so alive now. And it's alive because of the embodiment, because of the integration and the deep sense of, uh, of, of trust that I have in that, that vigilant process that, yeah, here comes a little part of Aaron Holm, that zestful, funny side of myself and, and I've had more humor, I've had more lightness of heart that I just haven't had in years that I saw come home from that ayahuasca experience. And that was 14 years later, you know, in, in some way. So that's the power of patience in this process is so important as well as it's all the, according to a plan, just not in the plan that one would think of in, in our contemporary mindset. Yeah, it's it's a big experience. And I think life is a big experience and we are almost intentionally reducing it to so little due to trauma and all kinds of things. And it occurred to me that this narcissistic 
tendency within our society is one that is like that. It's protective. It doesn't allow a lot of feeling. And we know that when this happens, it's due to fear, right? And it's perpetuated uh, because we are a collective and we start to share these reactions amongst one another. And I think it results in these attitudes that are very familiar in our society, like, oh, people are people are dull and we don't like people. And what does that do that isolates us from people? It makes us not treat them very well. And, mm-hmm. and it develops a certain superior attitude, which is very sad and very lonely. And I think that it's it's reflective of a lot of systems and ways that we have cultivated in our society over many years that we have to start to change really and let go of and 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 start to embrace healthier attitudes and healthier ideas of being you know in community and with one another mm-hmm. yeah that, that's so well said and and I'm, I'm kind of really glad you brought it back to that that point of those narcissistic tendencies as, as in many ways they are they're protective agents if i'm able to create this sense of armor around myself of reputation or status or whatever necessarily that is that then I can kind of hide my vulnerability and I can hide my sense of uh, you know of, of tenderness or whatever that is that you know that doesn't conform to the collective idea of what masculinity is supposed to look like you know the feminine is supposed to look like there's so many expectations and ideals that's from so young we're, we're trained to try to ascribe to, and, and they're just impossible. They're just not even anything that can naturally be embodied by the unique spark of who we are. And and, and the funniest thing about that is that as you become more of um, a person that is open to being vulnerable and open to being expressive and sharing the true struggles, that both the trial and triumph of your life and your true interest in uniqueness. It's amazing when, when you find somebody that holds that power and potency and that does it in a really honest and, and, and confident way, you could feel the whole room shift immediately and give an exhale of sigh like, oh, thank you. You know, I thought we had to have our masks on. I thought there was a decorum and all of a sudden someone, it just takes usually one or two that come in with some honesty and say, hey, you know, uh, I, I might have this, you might perceive me to be this and that, but I, I struggle like you, I, I go mm-hmm. through this. It's a real, it's real life. And you know what, just yesterday I was crying with my partner and just, you know, the perceptions are one thing, but I'm real. And once people kind of break that facade, then it's it's amazing how healing that is to collectives, to groups, to friendships. Uh, it's like, oh, wow, okay, now we can be authentic and we can grow together and there's no, there's no scorecard here, you know, for, for, <laughs> you know, for what the expectation of, of who we are supposed to be is. Yeah, genuine vulnerability is an incredibly powerful strength <laughs> that we're, <laughs> I think many of us are starting to, to just really become aware of and really openly be in the world that way so that others can enjoy that and discover it as well. This is such a powerful time. We are going through many, many changes right now. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that the medicines have been helpful, but also us just being that way, us just sharing that stuff and being open about it and daring to be very different than the way that we were taught to be or felt we had to out of fear is, is a really beautiful thing. Besides medicines and all of the interesting and beautiful gifts that and tools that come along through the integrative journey. The other most powerful learning experience in life is parenthood. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's so magical and, and so potent in terms of personal growth. And I remember we talked about this too. I desperately wanted a girl and I wasn't even, I was, you know, doctors said it was very unlikely I'd have a child and um, my son disagreed and showed up anyway. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I really wanted a girl. And when I had him, I felt so foolish for that and had to explore the reasons why I thought I wanted a girl, um, which would have been a nightmare <laughs> with all my, you know, old tainted kind of feminist ideas. And it was a beautiful gift to have a boy and to learn about all the softness that comes with boys and to discover all the, that vulnerability that I didn't see because I'd had a lot of you know negative experiences with men. And I needed this to heal. This was a perfect prescription in the form of this magical being that I'm still learning from today. And I invite you to talk about the experience of having girls for you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Rebecca. That's so powerful. Yeah. So I, I'm the father of, of three lovely little ladies, um, Aylin, who's seven, uh, Jason, who's five, and Soren, the mob boss, as we call her, at three. Uh, such a powerhouse, that little one. But in many ways, you know, I, I also I wanted a boy. I was I always kind of thought like, oh, it'd be so cool. You know, we'd go out and play sports. We would, you know, I'd take them on adventures and get messy or whatever, whatever it was. But uh, now that I have girls and very similar, I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I could ever have dealt with a boy. Like, I, li you know, little ladies is exactly what I needed for a few different reasons. One is that and plant medicine had shown me this as well as that I come from I'm, a, I'm Puerto Rican and uh, by both my parents' lineage. And that is a, a proud and beautiful culture. Um, yet it also has a you know, tendency to get hot and loud and edgy and aggressive. And you know, there's a lot of things within the culture, the mochismo within the culture um, that I had carried for some time, temper being one of them for certain. And I realized in different journeys and, and also as through the gift of fatherhood that the, the softness and the openness and the receptive nature of the feminine, it was so precious and so, uh, but also so absorptive um, that I just could not go about things the way that my parents and their parents and everyone else about, which was mostly, you know, all stick. You know, if you say it goes this way, this is the way it is and I'm laying it down and it's it's hard and harsh and, you know, papals and the coolies and all that, you know, like in the, so for me, it was like, no, you know what, Aaron, you know, you have to find a way to temper that passion and conviction into something that is much, much softer and something that's much, much more patient and also allowing of there to be this symbiotic dialogue, this beautiful, you know, questioning of why my wife has been critical in this, too. I have to give her a lot of love and support because her her space was she'll she'll exhaust every why question to the end of time, because for her, it's important that they understand you know, why something may or may not be wrong. It's not just because I said so, it's because of safety or consideration. And sometimes if it is because I said so, they'll win that one. And then it'll be mm -hmm. there, you know, it's on their behalf that they had an earnest point and they can go with it. But for me, I realized a big part of my, my growth was how do I cool my passion down to a space where I can have deep and honest perspectives, but I can offer the spaciousness for them to grow and flow and shift and change and share without feeling the threat of aggression or violence or control that bears down um, that so many of our generations had before us. And, and I remember one particular psilocybin experience where I just saw my father's lineage 
you know, the love of dance and the love of food and, and these things like that's beautiful. But then I just saw this yell, this, this yell that echoed from generation to generation. And it came to me and I just closed it down. I felt like a gate shut. I was like, it stops here. This can't happen, you know, because we need people that don't get shut down because of fear. If they're going to make decisions, it's going to be because of discernment, you know. So I, so that was a big part of my own continual uh, transformation and, and 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 initiation of fatherhood with these girls is meeting them in a place of invitation and space that they can feel empowered to share their message, while I can be a guide and support and ally for them, but not come down with fire and brimstone. Yeah. And you know what? That's where many of us are at on the integration path when we're parenting is that we have an opportunity here to create a very different generation of people who can think for themselves, who have the the space to do that. We can support them in starting to make their decisions in, you know, less fearful ways, in more inquiring ways, more open curiosity and and helping mm. them to to grow in these amazing ways instead of shutting them down. Many of us have these histories, whether, you know, it, it's there's all different flavors of it, but I think there's some pretty obvious and familiar themes of being shut down as kids. And if we want a truly open society, we're, we've got to be open with our children, say, so why do you think that? And and invite them to share their views and ideas of things and admit that we can learn things from them too. You know, <laughs> we won't always be right. They won't always be right. And and we might even want to evaluate what right means in certain situations. You know what I mean? We, we may be just different in how we go about things. And that is that is something that we really learn well with the medicines that right and wrong may not even be part of it. This person goes that way because it's right for them. And I'll go this way because it's right for me. And we don't have to be at odds. And that is an essential lesson right now in our history. And we have an opportunity to do that well. Yeah, that that is that's so huge. And it does. It starts with those young generations and modeling that sense of our deep dream for that more interdependent you know, collect harmonic collective is like, you know, if we don't really practice those principles in various ways, you know, I, I try to, we try to keep magic very much alive in the house, you know, uh, uh, perceive things as, you know, we honor the science and we honor the deep mystery in things and, and cultivate an awareness of that. I mean, as a facilitator, as a psychedelic harm reduction facilitator, I have numerous different interesting people coming through our home often and the girls get exposure and experience to people in numerous ways. And my, my, my formal profession to them is the wizard. Um, they're like, you know, they, they know that I go on a quest with people and I work together with them. Our ceremony space is a lot of holistically spiritual items from all around the world and a deep journey. And I love that. It's like, you know what, We're re we can rebirth these ancient archetypes. We can perceive this, this universe again as, as beautiful uh, relationships with energetic beings of different, different planes, different, you know, different ways of perception. So that's one thing that I also love as well is that they, they have the eyes, you could see it, they have the eyes that see beyond what most of us do and to find a way to nourish that and celebrate that and not create the veil of our modern kind of isolated culture is also a, is, a, is a task and in a, in a, in one that's well worth the effort. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does take effort. Now, it's a big job parenting <laughs> consciously in this in this environment, but it's a beautiful mission. And yeah, the archetypes reemerging. I mean, these happen in hypnotic journeys in my world all the time. Oh, and there's oh, a yeah. reason they're emerging in medicine and in other ways. There's a reason they they've been around for a long, long time in our history for a reason. And I know the idea that we have of wizards and all these other figures were reduced to jokes for a long time. But, you know, think of where that was coming from, the closed ideas of things that that was coming from. Now we have an opportunity to open up and say, hey, maybe we can learn something from this. Maybe there's so much more. We all admire children's imagination and curiosity, and we're being invited to open up in those ways again too. And and it's powerful. We're learning so much just by doing that, just by saying, maybe there's something more there. Maybe this is actually helpful. Maybe I can learn something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that is the major first step, I feel like, of training and modeling this next evolution of self. You know, so often I feel so part of my lineage has been part of festival culture, which is the alchemy culture of live music and instrumentation. You know, it's quite become quite a commercial affair, but in many still circles, it's done with great intentionality. And, and I always felt those were almost training grounds. How do we get together with so many walks of life, share in our gifts, whether they're workshops and ceremonies, art and the sculpture, music, whatever those dynamics are, how do we offer up this new blueprint of how to synergize our creativity in a dynamic and beautiful way. And then we take those insights and inspirations, infuse them back into our communities, our, our, our family circles, and kind of this idea that the mycelium, you know, the, the evolution will be mycelial based, not revolutionary top down. It's more, can you honor your circles of impact and influence and share with earnest heart, the gifts that you have, and know that those ripples absolutely matter. Touching one person in the heart, that hits a thousand people in one way or another through their own ongoing experiencing and sharing. So that sense that the work is really sweeping that door in front of us, the work is really cultivating that richness with youth and within our own communities, within our gatherings that we share in, within our retreats, our one-on-ones, you know, that is the is ultimately the tidal wave that's going to mount and I think make some real powerful shifts in this world as the generations move forward. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. We are rediscovering some ancient traditions in our world and, you know, we're, they're being expressed in, in, in new ways, but um, hopefully with, with some work that, you know, a lot of us are doing on ourselves with pure intentions, you know, with love and with openness and with grace. And when we approach things in that way, it can be healthy, even though it looks a lot different than it would have hundreds of years ago. And hopefully, you know, with the very healing effect that we need right now in nurturing and, and all those good things, right? Inspiring. That's what we need in this world right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are coming to the end of this show, and I am so glad that you joined me for this discussion today. And I'm just wondering if you want to share some information with the audience about where you can be reached, the kinds of things you're working on now, and any information you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's been such a pleasure. And I'm, I'm just such a, a fan of your work or, and, and also what you're hoping to cultivate here with integration. In, in, in general, I always you know, share with her, I'm facilitating it in my own journey work. 
the you know the catalyst of this of the medicine is is in, incredibly important. You know, it can create a deep sense of awareness um, and, and really kind of revitalize the scope of how you're navigating life. But in many ways, if there's not a, a real devotion to embodying that through the various different things that could come through on the far side of a, of a journey, you know, whether through your support groups, your own holistic health practices, your own intentionality and mindfulness in your own work, you know, all these different things, you know, sometimes just adorning the style that's true to your heart or whatever that is, you know, that's really what then takes that, that spark and allows it to become uh, something so much more richer that have so much more emanation and impact. So the integration side of the psychedelic work is is what's really changing things, um, you know, mm -hmm. for society and people out there uh, in such a big way. Uh, so my, my own work right now, I have a, a company called The Spark. Through that, I use um, the catalyst of, of medicine in, in various different ways alongside a very thoughtful arc of growth that I work with people that are hoping to expand their own capacities, um, help to distill down their own personal, their personal mission and align it with their professional mission and growth. So really helping to people to bring a sense of balance to their own approach and growth and utilizing different insights through plant medicine at different um, marks along the journey to help to engineer this beautiful arc of transformation. And so that's, you know, more of a rites of passage, initiatory work that I do there and guiding and facilitating. And then I'm also a part of this wonderful group called Psychedelic Passage, um, which is the nation's first harm reduction, um, supportive psychedelic guided journeying service. So people that are looking to have a very safe, ethical, highly integral foray into utilizing the medicine, whether for mental health or for spiritual self-actualization, in that uh, the client provides the compound. And as a harm reductionist, then we provide a really beautiful scope of preparation, uh, materials, working with them to prepare, distill down intentions, body, mind, spirit protocol, uh, get aware of what that experience, the gravity of it feels like, and then, you know, go into an immersive with them, help to facilitate and guide them in the instrument of that ceremonial experience, you know, uh, through different uh, practices, and then move into an integration phase where they embody the revelations and insights. So it's a beautiful program called Psychedelic Passage. It, it, they have We have different facilitators all throughout the country for people that are looking for safe, ethical, ceremonial style, you know, as opposed to psychotherapeutic style of immersive journey experiences. And uh, right here in, um, in, in Marcel, we're also cultivating a beautiful retreat center called Communitas um, that is well under construction. And we're hoping to have that open up in between May and June. And so that's gonna become really a beautiful epicenter for people to come. And uh, and we'll have a whole bunch of different type of beautiful community experiences and enjoy our land and dive in. And the last thing I'll say is I also have co-founded the Psychedelic Society of Asheville, along with some wonderful facilitators here. So if people are looking in the region um, for just um, a community of, of intentional psychedelic users and explorers and people that are just curious about entry into the into the space um that's something that also as a as a as an offering for a greater collective that i have going on right now so definitely staying busy uh but really really grateful to be of service in this in this wonderful work in my own way here thank you so much aaron thanks so much for your kind words about my own work and for your explanation of the things that you're involved in if you want to share any websites that would be great too um this podcast goes out in so many different directions, so notes aren't as helpful as just putting it out there on the podcast itself. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Rebecca, for that additional support. Yes, so my website is uh, thespark.co, so H-T-T-P, 
slash slash the spark t-h-e-s-p-a-r-c dot co and i'm also on linkedin youtube a little bit on instagram but mostly those channels and uh yeah please feel free to reach out to me and i'd love to be an ally and and fellow fellow brother on the on the quest with everyone else out there as they continue to explore and and big big thank you and a lot of love to aya speaks and all the work you're doing thank you so much thanks for joining me today my pleasure absolutely rebecca thanks for having me Thanks for joining us for another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. Please visit RebeccaHayden.com for more ayahuasca integration content and for information about working with me and using hypnosis as an empowering integration tool.